What is up, people? You are listening into New Generation Sports Talk. I am your host, EJ Stewart. Welcome back. We, I know we took a couple of weeks off. A lot has happened in the world of football, so we're going to have plenty to talk about on this podcast. I can't wait to have this conversation. We'll be talking college football playoff. We'll be talking about Coach Prime headed to Colorado. Also, some big NFL stuff happening. Jimmy Garoppolo breaks his foot out for an extended period of time, but does that mean the 49ers are cooked? We'll discuss that. And we have a major firing, but it's not a firing from a team that you would think maybe is losing or has a bad record. It's not Jeff Saturday, unfortunately. It is a firing of a team that's actually in first place. (laughs) So we'll talk about it all on this episode of New Generation Sports Talk. Joining me is my co-host, starting with Shamari Stewart. Now, Sham, uh, I don't know how much you saw this on the internet, but... Uh, were you or were you not afraid that uh, the Yankees had lost Arson Judge? <laughs> yeah, Arson Judge. Yeah, no, I, I actually hadn't uh, really been following. Uh, really, I just I for me for, for the whole kind of Aaron Judge possibly probably leaving situation, I had not been following. Um, I had just been kind of just hoping and just because all that's all I could do is hope, <laughs> right? Just hope. Uh, that we uh, do, um, you know, do the right thing and do what we can to keep him here. Um, but no, I had not been following that. But that that is a very funny type. Yeah. So so what had happened for those who did not figure out what happened? We're recording this podcast on Tuesday, December sixth. John Heyman, uh, shout out John Heyman, a, a good dude. I, I've worked with John, um, MLB insider. Uh, he had a he had a problem. He had a, he had some issues today. He had some problems today. So uh, he sends out the tweet. You know, we're all pins and needles kind of waiting for Judge. We've already seen some other big signings. Uh, I was, you know, shedding tears about Jake DeGrom leaving. And then Justin Verlander signed the Mets, so I kind of got over Jake real quick. Um, We saw Trey Turner sign with the Phillies. But we're all waiting on pins and needles to see what's going to happen with Aaron Judge. You know, he's the AL home run, single-season home run king, and he's a free agent. And it is a high-stakes bidding war happening between the Yankees and the San Francisco Giants, and potentially other mystery teams that we don't know about, but we know that those are apparently the two front runners for Aaron Judge. Of course, Aaron Judge played for the Yankees last year, so would if he would leave for the uh, for the for the San Francisco Giants, his hometown team, that would be quite a blow for the Bombers, Shamari's favorite team. So John Heyman puts out a tweet today that says, "Quote: Arson Judge head, appears to be headed to San Francisco," and. First, it was a lot of confusion. We were like, okay, I we assume he means Aaron Judge, but could this be a joke? Like, is there some joke that we're not in on? Is there some arson thing that's happening in San Francisco that we don't know about? Is he making a dad joke? I, I mean, we were all very confused. Or is it just a typo? And is Aaron Judge actually now going to be taking his talent to the Bay Area? A lot of people were very confused. Fast forward maybe a five, ten minutes later, that tweet gets deleted. So, okay, tweet deleted. What's going on now? Then he tweets another tweet, Sham, and it says, Aaron Judge appears to be headed to the Giants. So now the baseball world is now officially losing their mind. Yankee fans are already lamenting Brian Cashman, Hal Steinbrenner, wondering why the hell Cashman got a, a, a contract extension, but they couldn't find money to sign Aaron Judge. Giant fans, full of euphoria. The hometown kid is coming home. They finally gotten their first big Massive free agent signing since Barry Zito. So it's just a lot of emotions happening in the baseball world, particularly on social media. And then fast forward <laughs> now, another 10, 15 minutes later, 
another tweet from John Heyman. This time saying, uh, Giants have not heard from Aaron Judge. I jumped the gun. My bad. So <laughs> it was a lot of drama, a lot of stress. It appears to be all for naught. Now, I will say, Sham, of course, Kendall is the resident Giants fan. And I say Giants, of course, San Francisco Giants, not New York football Giants. He's a resident San Francisco Giants fan on this podcast normally. And I did text Kendall while this was happening. And let's just say he didn't have the nicest thing to say about John Heyman. I'm not going to say it on air. But uh, he was not happy with how this all went down. But I'll be honest. I kind of feel like Heyman... This feels like the Tom Brady retirement thing, yeah. Like, remember when Tom Brady retired? And I don't know if it was Rappaport or, or Schefter. Forgive me for not remembering who it was. But one of them dudes figured out that Tom Brady was retiring. And he was going to announce it very soon. And then it became this weird thing where the Tom Brady had to deny it. And then his family was denying it. And it was this whole thing of, well, maybe he's not retiring. It was like, oh, he hasn't made a decision yet. Now, unlike John Heyman... The reporters at that time were very adamant saying, no, I know for a fact that Tom Brady is going to retire. This kind of feels like the same thing, where eventually Tom Brady eventually did announce his retirement, though that was very short-lived. I feel like John Heyman got information that made him know that Judge was going to be going to San Francisco, and he just wasn't supposed to say it. I get the impression he got some uh, off-the-record information, or someone told him something that he they didn't expect to then get leaked out <laughs> on Twitter. To, you know, John Heyman's, you know, maybe millions of followers. If he does a million, he has hundreds of thousands at least. And I, I think he's headed to San Francisco. And I've kind of always felt like this was a real possibility with because of how the Yankees handled that negotiation in spring training where Catherine wanted to go out there and say, yeah, man, we offered this guy nine nine years or 200 plus million. And he said, no, shame, isn't it? And like that, as we now know, because of Aaron Judge's article that came out, he was a time uh, athlete of the year. He said I didn't like that. He thought that the he thought that the of uh, was trying to turn the fans against him and negotiate in the media and make him look bad. And I knew it was going to be contentious, but I, I just really, especially when I saw Cashman resign, I was like, man, I, if San Francisco has a good pitch, I think they're going to be able to learn. I really think they are. And that was the big question mark. And Kendall will tell you a bunch jam that like the Giants have just been kind of inept. <laughs> in like major free agent pursuits like they they just they 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 always are said to be a player and they never get anybody so he had a kendall i know had a lot of doubts and a lot of like skepticism that they would really fork over the cash but the same john Heyman said that apparently they, they're often judged 370 million dollars so uh, I, I mean now we'll see if they actually have that money which <laughs> colorado apparently didn't have the money for prime which we'll talk about in a minute but yeah, that whole thing was crazy, Sham. I mean, at this point, are are you do you still feel like there's a chance that Judge will return or, or are you just now just kind of waiting for the inevitable? I mean, I feel like there's always a chance. Right. Um I mean once a guy is, is at a place, I mean, he's there. You know, it's his home. It's the fans are all over him. The city's rallying around him. Um now this is a split city, so I don't know if that's another thing that that kind of factors into his decision or not, but, um, but all Yankee fans certainly rally around him. Yeah. Yeah. And Yankee, so, Yankees are, you know, one, maybe the premier franchise in this city. Right. So, you know, so, I mean, it's not, there's, I know there's other things that go into the decision to, to go someplace else. And is a, and it, and you know, this is a, 
a good franchise, an underachieving one, mind you, but a good franchise. So, you know, those are I think those are things that that he would have to factor in. And, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, you know, I certainly don't want to see him go. And, you know, it it it. it it would make our front office look even more inept than they have, uh, particularly the last uh, last uh, few years in terms of just, again, just underachieving and just embarrassed, quite frankly, embarrassing ourselves yeah. uh, for the world to see. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully it does. I think there's a chance. I still think there's a chance, personally. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens. I... I thought this was going to be a very close. I thought this was like a 50-50 proposition, essentially. Um, I thought it would go either way. Today, I feel like the Giants are probably going to figure this thing out. Now, I think <laughs> I, I'm curious, like, how do the Yankees react? Now, apparently, Aaron Boone was asked about this, and, you know, he said, oh, well, no, when I heard about what was going on, I texted Cash and asked Cash, hey, what's going on? And Cashman said nothing. So, uh, I guess they're not worried, or, or maybe this really was truly an erroneous report, but there's just something that tells me that somehow Heyman figured out that Judge is going to San Francisco, and he just jumped the gun. Even his wording in the tweet was that the Giants don't weren't notified by Judge. That doesn't mean he hasn't decided to go to San Francisco. That doesn't mean, like, he, like he could have decided that already and just not told anybody or not told the teams. You know, like, even that wording was very weird. So... And maybe I, I kind of like trust John Heyman as a reporter. Like I just I, like I, I don't think he's just tweeting nonsense. <laughs> I think he de- he made a mistake today, but I don't think he made a mistake in something that like oh there was this was information that was just flat out erroneous, and I don't know what I was doing, or I accidentally pressed the tweet on a draft that I didn't mean to send. Like you know, especially because he tweeted yeah. twice. He, you know, he tweeted arson judge, and then his twin brother Aaron <laughs> Judge minutes later. So. Yeah, well, um, this is going to be now an interesting couple of days. If it lasts a couple of days, I, I don't. I mean, who knows where we are now with this Aaron Judge situation? But yeah, some a lot of uh, chaos on the timeline, thanks to uh, John Heyman and his will he or won't he sign with the San Francisco 49ers? I mean, me, uh, uh, Giants. That being Aaron Judge. Okay, let's talk college football. So, Sham, college football playoff is official. We will be having Georgia. Number one overall seed facing Ohio State, who is number four in the college football rankings. They sneak in. They will be playing in Atlanta in the Peach Bowl. We will also have Michigan taking on number three TCU in the Fiesta Bowl in Arizona. Alabama left out of the college football playoff. That is despite Nick Saban's politicking that went on all throughout last weekend. And I'll be honest, it was a little nauseating. Like, it, uh, it was like, come on, dude. Like, you're like a, what, five, six, seven-time national champion. Like, you, like I, I don't think you need to, I don't need to be so intense and so often. Maybe that's why, why I felt like it was a lot. Like, maybe you do one spot. Maybe you call in one radio station. That's fine. But he was like, you couldn't stop hearing from Nick Saban last weekend about <laughs> why his right. team couldn't get in. It should have get in, rather. So... Despite all that politicking, they did not put Alabama in. Sham, do you feel like the committee got this right? Um, well, I don't see UAB on the list. Shout out to Trent Dilfer. Shout out to Trent Dilfer, <laughs> new head coach um, at UAB. Yeah, uh, the hell of you know, an interview on maybe, Jim Rome. Hopefully soon enough. 
Yeah, he did. Yeah, he had a really yes. good interview. And he's, he's saying that he uh, UAB will be in the college football playoff at some point. Now, luckily for him, they're expanding to 12 teams. Cause on a 14. That's true. <laughs> a 14 That's a good model, point. I'm like, I don't know, Trent. <laughs> but a 12 team model, I mean, yeah, some of these group That's of true. six, group of five teams are going to get in, I would think. So. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's that's very true. Actually, I didn't think about that. Um, but yeah, shout out to Trento for I'm sure UAB will be very successful. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. This time I I do actually think the committee got it right. They didn't snub TCU. That was the that was the for me that was the big thing. Yeah, I was just like waiting for the hammer to drop. Another you know Boise State or name the you know other you know team that should have been in the national championship that just. Because just based on the fact that they're out in, you know, somewhere where college where people don't care as much about college ball, they're just not giving a shot. So, um, so yeah, I I think I think they I think the committee got it right. I think they got it right. Um, I even think they I even think they got the rankings right. Um, I, you know, I don't know how people feel about Alabama or ahead of Ohio State or you know, Tennessee ahead of any of these teams. I think, I think Ohio state has looked great. You know, they're, they're kind of the, they're the, they're a team that barely got in. I think they've looked, I think they've looked um, great, particularly their offense. And I think just in, just from the eye test, having watched a lot of their games and um, they look like just looking at the, the other teams on this list, they look like they, they should be here. There were, there were several even after they lost to uh, Michigan, how they did. There were several teams, um, of course, and, and I would put Alabama included in this. That at various points um, during the year did not look like they should they should be in the playoffs. And you know, I know Saban's all politics and this stuff, talking about oh the losses were close and all this other stuff. Like he had a lot of wins that were close. <laughs> you know, true. where it's like you know <laughs> you could have lost like four or five games. You know, you could have had a couple of potentially embarrassing losses. So, you know, I mean, you, I mean, you got to take all that into account. So I don't – well, Alabama's like – it's more of a question mark of I don't know how good this team is. <laughs> but I know you lost a couple games, and there are other teams that did not lose a couple games. Um, and we're dominating teams most of the year, you know. So, so yeah, it's just – that's just something that's got to be factored in. Um also, shout out to TCU, you know, for even major for even getting you. Yeah, major for, shout out for, to TCU. Yeah, Sonny Sonny Dykes' his first year as head coach at TCU. Yeah, a phenomenal job, phenomenal job. Um, yeah, incredible. Yeah, and I, I like just I got him to follow TCU from a distance this season. Again, Dykes and Max Duggan, like you know, just very just a team that you can easy root for. You know, like you think of Sonny Dykes and how you know he went to California. And, you know, it was a very kind of mundane kind of time there. He got fired eventually, goes mm-hmm. to SMU, and he kind of uh, turns that program around and, and ends up with, you know, uh, a pretty solid run there. And I think that a lot of people kind of were underestimating him when he got the TCU job, not really knowing what was what to really expect. Gary Patterson had been there for so many years, had been such an excellent coach. Gary Patterson. Um I don't know if they built a statue yet. I think they said they were going to. Uh, he deserves one. I mean, he he was he was a phenomenal college football coach and, yes. and an excellent. He did an excellent job at TCU. Um, you know, you know, clock ran out. Get a little older. You know, it made sense to move on. 
But uh, but I don't think anybody really knew what to expect from Sunny Dykes. For him to turn this around and get them into the comfortable playoff in year one, year one is incredible and totally deserved. I mean, they played a K-State team that I – I mean, Shimon, you'll remember that, that preview show. I told you from the preview show that that K-State team was somebody that nobody wanted to mess with. I remember that? I told you. I was like, this is a team with Deuce Vaughn. Yep, I remember and The way they play, the physical football they play, the way they run the football and defend, I'm like, this is a dangerous team. And we saw, we've seen now. They finished the regular season ranked in the top 10. They're, of course, now the Big 12 champions. And, uh, look, TCU did beat them once. I know Martinez got hurt, but they did beat them. So right. this is not like this is a team that they haven't beaten before. Um, they played a, a hellacious, uh, excellent, excellent Big 12 uh, game that was a that was a football game that was a man's game yeah. that 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 conference championship game uh, Max Duggan man mad respect to him and him trying to just will his team to that win I thought you know two you know, while I did praise a lot with something like that I didn't think he coached a great game I, I didn't love going for it on fourth down definitely didn't love not keeping the ball in Max Duggan's hands if you were going to go for it on fourth down no yeah I did not like that decision oh. yeah because I know I think we're getting too I think we're getting too happy uh too kind of uh, you know gamble drunk on the idea that, oh, you're right at red zone, it's fourth down, you always go for it. It's just, to me, like, the only way you could, you don't give, like, if you don't, like, the only way you could lose this game potentially is if you don't get this. Like, if you get the field goal, you have a chance to still win. Like, my thing is, like, you're putting all your eggs in one basket and not even giving your defense a chance, a defense that had played okay. Like, I, I didn't I didn't get that decision. I think I'm in the minority. I think nobody thinks he should have hand the ball off again. I think everybody agrees that that wasn't the right move. But I, I, I wouldn't even QB sneaked or done anything with Duggan. I would have just kicked the field goal. Um, but anyway, yeah. so that wasn't great coaching there. But overall, he's done a phenomenal job this year. Here's what I'll say. I, I have made the case on CBS Sports Radio, and I'll make it here for Alabama again. Now, I think Shamari makes all points that I really can't argue that much. Um, they do have two losses. They did have some very close nail-biting wins that could have easily been losses and, and may, may have marred this resume. But I think for me, of all the arguments that seem nonsensical by Nick Saban, I do think there is one that I, I, I kind of held as to why I would have put Alabama in over Ohio State, not TCU, is I do think like bad losses toward the end of your season does show vulnerability. Like That was the one thing he did say. I, that whole oh we be favored thing was nonsense. I'm like you were favored against TCU, Tennessee and LSU and lost. <laughs> so what the hell is that? Yeah. Mean? So that was a that was a terrible argument. But I think Ohio State showed incredible vulnerability in how they got just uh, demolished by Michigan at home. This is a rivalry game, so it's not like oh we came in sleepwalking, we weren't prepared. You know, this is a rivalry game in your house at the Horseshoe, and you get just run off the field and then you get in because you just didn't play. Cause USC would have got this spot. We forget USC was number four and then yeah. they couldn't tackle anybody when they played against Utah. And now that's why they got sent uh, by the wayside. So USC had to play a game because they earned a conference championship bid and then they lost. Okay, fine. They lost. I don't mind them not getting it. I don't have a problem with that. Cause Again, I do value how you look towards the end of the season. You got demolished in a game you had to win for a conference championship, a team you already played. No, like, yeah, you you go home. I have no problem with that. But I do have a problem with a team that didn't play at all and didn't do anything and then just walks in. Like, uh, my thing is, okay, well, what have you done lately? And Alabama did play Austin P, so we got to take that out. But they did beat the Ole Miss team that 
was good at that time. Of course, they kind of fell apart because, you know, they didn't know if Lane Kiffin was leaving. But that team was 11th when they beat Ole Miss on the road, a game that a lot of people thought they were going to lose and it looked like they were going to lose at times. Um, and then they finished the season, they, they, they pummeled Auburn. So they handled their rival. Of course, their rival was not anything like Michigan. But they won three in a row to end the season. Ohio State, at the end, got destroyed. And to me, you get destroyed by one of the teams in the playoff. To me, it's like, well, I've now seen what you look like against the teams that are competing for the championship. And I do hold weight that they lost those games on the road in a very tight way. Like, you're talking about, you know, a combined four points in those losses. I do I do think that matters. I do think it matters when you're compared to a team that lost by 20-something points at home. Like, I, I don't think that that's nothing. So, I would have put Ohio State, I mean, Alabama in just because of how bad I thought Ohio State looked against Michigan. But I'm not going to sit here and, like, say that, oh, the, the committee, like, really, like, screwed this up. Because... This was, like, a weird year, Sham. Like, to me, this is, like, a year where the BCS championship would have been fine. <laughs> like, Bill, shout out to Dick Vitale. He tweeted it. Now, I'm not saying that I don't want a playoff. I do. And I think that's fine. It's great that we do have some kind of playoff this year. But, like, think about all those years in the BCS where we had, like, three teams that were, were worthy or four teams that were worthy. We were trying to pick two out of three and four, and then we have these hellacious arguments. And in the Confluent playoff, like, eliminate that for the most part. Here, this is the year, this is the one year where you're like, well, we know who number one and two are. Like, if this was just, if you just said, all right, Michigan, Georgia, you go play somewhere on a neutral site for the national championship game, that would be fine. Like, those teams <laughs> earned it. They're undefeated. They clearly were the two best teams over the course of the regular season. So, it's kind of funny that we came into the season where, like, we're, we're like, arguing over Alabama and Ohio State. It's a fun argument, but it's like, neither of these teams really are that deserving to me. And... Ohio State, I know they did crush a lot of those Big Ten teams. That The Big Ten was awful this year. Awful. I mean, they only played two yeah. ranked teams. One of them was Notre Dame, who was overrated to start the year. I know they did finish the year fairly strong. Um, but the other ranked team they played was Penn State. And Penn State beat up also on a lot of really bad uh, Big Ten teams. So I just didn't really take into – I didn't have a lot of respect for their schedule either. That was a big thing also. So – I'm not going to sit here and go crazy. Like, look, you get a date with Georgia. If you beat that team, then you earn everything you get. And I can't complain. It's kind of like when Ohio State uh, rolled Alabama in the, in the, in the conference, uh, in the, in the conference playoff when they played, uh, when they played back when Ramey was a coach um, and Zeke Elliott was running crazy. I don't know if you remember, you remember that year, Sham. Like, yep. like, look, they, like if they, like none of this really matters anymore. They got picked. So go out there and show that you deserve to be a conference playoff, playoff team. You're playing against a team that, Nobody thinks you have a chance to beat that has been just destroying everybody they play. And now you got to do it without Jackson Smith and Jigba, who is deciding he's going to take his talent to the NFL. So go out there and prove us wrong. And I, I, I don't wish anything against them. Like I, like, I want to see a good game, so I prefer they do show up. So uh, we'll see what happens in these games. I mean, I don't want to give picks so early because I know, you know we'll, we'll, have, we have, we'll want to give picks leading up to it. Sham, this does, though, feel a little bit like the Georgia Invitational, doesn't it, though? Like, I'm, again, I'm not saying this is a pick, but just going into it, it does feel like, man, good luck beating this Georgia team to anybody, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's, you can't help but really uh, – um, you can't, you kind of can't help but see it that way. Um, a lot of it also depends on how, how healthy Ohio State is. Um, yeah. And, 
I mean, look, one thing I'll give Ohio State is they can put up points. We know they can put up points as long as Stroud is on point. You know, and one thing that I, I think Kendall's point, Kendall, uh, one time I was talking with Kendall, shout out to him, and yeah. he pointed out as well, you know, if Stroud, like Bryce Young isn't afraid to to kind of just take it and go, like run, you know. Yeah. Stroud yeah. doesn't want to run. I don't know why. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a business decision. I don't know, <laughs> you know, be. I don't know what it is. It's not like he can't move. Yeah. He's not, he's not like DJ Youngaway, you know, like right. um, where he's like, like stiff as a board. Like he can move, you know, he can move in the pocket. He's mobile. But I mean, if he could just, if he could just, if he sees when if he sees those open lanes, just take it. I think that the team would go a lot farther and the, the offense particularly would go a lot farther um, because then they'd have to respect that and it would just open up so much more in the passing game. But yeah. they can put up points. It might, and this Georgia defense, I've even seen, I've seen their games this year, is not the same as it was last year. You know, you can score on them. Yeah, the LSU game, yeah, was, I mean, the game we just watched. I mean, I know they yeah. won by a lot, but, I mean, LSU with two quarterbacks was like moving yep. the ball. Like, you, know? you can score on them. You can definitely score on this on this Georgia defense. It's still not easy, but you can score on them. And Ohio so State do, has do, arguably do you actually, best So you actually believe that it is they do have vulnerability defensively, or do you feel how kind of what I feel, which is that I think that this team doesn't, and Kirby Smart has talked about this a little bit throughout the season, that this team doesn't play with the kind of focus defensively that last year's team did, which maybe it doesn't matter. But, like, to me, like, I don't know if this is, like, a talent thing where it's like, oh, like, we, we can out-talent these guys. Like, they're not as good as – like, I think they're very close to being as good as talented as were this year, last year or this year. But to me, it's like I just see, like – games where it seems like they just kind of leave the foot off the pedal and they don't really because because the reason why only reason why i say that is because i watched them against tennessee and tennessee mm-hmm. like couldn't breathe against georgia and mm-hmm. i watched them against certain teams where like oh my god like when they want to they show you oh we're still georgia but it's almost like they know like they actually have a better offense this year so they don't really have to like just completely blank you in order to like win i i, I don't know if, if that's uh if that's me kind of just projecting something that's not necessarily true and, and that these teams have figured out Georgia to some degree, but that's kind of the impression I got. Like, and, and that's kind of why I don't love this matchup for Ohio state, but I also feel like it was like, if you want to punch a chance, you probably want to be built like them because to me, Ohio state is built very similar to like Tennessee. Like they're a team that's going to spread you out. They're going to really try to like, uh, win the athleticism battle and get their athletes in space uh, with their wide receiver core, wide receiving core, and they're a finesse team. And we saw when they had to play against a physical team, they got punched in the mouth and they couldn't get up. So if you couldn't handle Michigan's physicality, like I, I fear for you facing Georgia. I, I, I legit have bodily fear for what's going to happen to you if you can't handle even Michigan's physicality. And I know Michigan's a physical team. It's not even, it's not even this to them. But I, I mean, Georgia got some. I mean, they got some monsters on that defense. So that that would concern me a little bit for that matchup. And then the TCU Michigan game is. It, uh, I really, I'm like, I'm happy TCU got in because that is like a fascinating matchup. Like, I I'm, I really did not want. I didn't want to really see Alabama or, or Ohio State instead of TCU. I really wanted TCU to be one of these four teams. And I'm kind of happy they got to avoid the Georgia game because I kind of wanted them to see them against a non-Georgia elite team and see like all right are they like on par with these teams because i tend to believe in them maybe a little more than the rest of the country does and i like tc this game is interesting because tcu kind of started the season kind of similar to like tennessee i i actually made the case that they were like tennessee south where like they were just 
rolling people <laughs> like big offensive numbers. But it's mm-hmm. almost like as the season went on, Sham, they started having to win these slugfests. Like they, they were no longer putting up 50, 60 points against people the way they were to start the season. So they have battle yeah. scars, but they came out of it almost unscathed completely except for this last game. And I think that may serve them well against Michigan because we know Michigan is going to test you. We know Michigan is going to make sure this isn't going to be easy. And they showed in that, that Big 12 championship game, they showed again in the win against K-State. Um, the win against Texas, I think, was the game we all saw where it was like, wow, okay, this is just a just flat-out, you know, this is a Big Ten game, essentially, that's happening in Austin. And they were able to win that kind of game that I don't think any necessarily everybody thought they were going to be able to win. Like, I will, I, I'm now very curious to see, can they use that experience in a matchup against a team like Michigan, who we know is going to want to drag you into the mud and make this uh, a kind of a fist fight? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, I mean, that one's that's that's going to be an interesting one. Um, also, by the way, shout out to Purdue, my alma mater, for put for giving Michigan a fight at least for a little yeah, while. They did. <laughs> yeah, they did. Shout um, out to Coach Brom. His coaching is a little. His game management is a little weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not. Yeah. It's been, it's been um, weird all season. But they did. They got there and they competed. Yeah. So I can't. I can't complain too much. Yeah. Um. But uh. But yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. Um, Michigan also, I think is very, uh, vulnerable, um, just in terms of, so, so to me, Michigan, Michigan definitely doesn't look unbeatable, particularly in the first halves of games I've seen throughout the year. Um, they can run away from you late, but early they'll give you a shot. So, you know, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's Harbaugh. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But <laughs> early on in games, like it's like very back and forth. Like we don't know who's gonna win. So, um, but yeah, it's. I think Michigan is very vulnerable, and we've also seen that TCU is very resilient, where they have no problem just coming back from a two-three score yeah, deficit. Yeah. So, I think that that's gonna be a really really good game. I think, I think it will be too. Um, you know, I think. I think there's a good chance, honestly, that it comes down to a quarterback play. Duggan and McCarthy, mm, Kim, wow. you know, they, you know, I think McCarthy has been very kind of up and down, um, and just just in terms of like, uh, obviously more ups and downs. You know, he's here, but but you know, still you see some plays you're like, what is he doing? <laughs> you know, like it's just yeah. like almost like a thing. Yeah, like, yeah, he had a really he had a really bad pick in that Big Ten game. Yeah, Andrew game. So it's just kind of stuff. He's like, what? But it's not it's not all the time, but you see it, you know? So, you know, if he's – and this is the biggest – this is as big a stage as he's going to see. So and we haven't seen him perform in a stage like this, so we'll see how he does. You know, and and, and Duggan has kind of, kind of been the opposite. He's kind of been TCU's rock um, yeah. throughout the season. And he's a you know, Heisman Trophy candidate and all this other stuff. So, yeah, this is going to be a good one. This is going to be a very interesting one. Yeah, Blake Corum won't be playing in that game, season-ending knee injury, which is just mm-hmm. unfortunate because he had a tremendous season. Um, but uh, we will get to see some talented players regardless. Donovan Edwards, the, 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 he's I a stud. Call, I didn't want to call him backup running back. <laughs> I mean, he's he's yeah, an he's absolute a stud. stud, as you said. Um, so we know we're gonna see him out there. Quentin Johnson, man, this 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 dude from TCU. Oh man, I mean, yeah, you want to talk about you want to talk about a monster? 
freak of nature. Yeah, this guy will be drafted in the first round. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Wide receiver for TCU. So there's a lot of fun players to watch in this game. Speaking of star players, real quickly, Sham, I know we got to move on, but um, why the hell is Stetson Bennett going to New York for the Heisman? I know, I know maybe this shouldn't matter that much because we, we know he's not going to win, but he definitely is not one of the top Heisman people, and yet he's going to go. They picked him over Blake Horm, as I mentioned. They picked him over Hendon Hooker. Like, I don't know. There's something, something like, I got to see how that vote broke down. Something seemed off with that. Like, and I think Bennett's had a good year. He's been better than he was last year. And I'm not necessarily the guy that's going to sit there and just say, oh, well, you know, numbers, numbers, numbers. But this is a award that's supposed to be the most outstanding college football player. Like, who, you cannot make a case for Stetson Bennett as the most outstanding college football player this year. That's just unacceptable. Not over what Hendon Hooker and, 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 uh, and what's name did at all. Uh, I play quorum. Those two guys at least. And then there's even other cases that can be made for lesser guys, like even a Michael Penix. Where I'd say, hey, what about him? You know, Bo Nix had a great year despite the first game of the season where they got trounced by Stetson Bennett in Georgia. Like, I don't know, did, were you as offended by Bennett's candidacy as I was? Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I and I look. I feel like I feel like honestly, I feel like this is a, something that I feel like all three of us, me, you, and Kendall, kind of share a brain on Stetson Bennett. You know, where it's like. You know, look, gritty, you know, good just football player. You know, he clearly loves the game. He's good at playing quarterback. He's good at proving people wrong. And you got to respect that, obviously. But when it comes to, um, and for me, like you said, like the most, just to be the most outstanding football player. And also just like, what is this team? And this is at least this is how I see the What is this team without this player? I don't know if that's, you know, how it should be viewed. That's how I view it. Is what is their team without him? Right? Like, has he like a most valuable player, almost like an MVP? Like, what is this team without him? And Georgia with, and I'll be honest, another like middling quarterback that's been good, Drake May. Yeah. Another just good quarterback. <laughs> It's still dominating and probably undefeated. Um, you know, and then again, that's not to say now look, Stetson Bennett is good at making the throws that you need when they need to be made. Um and this has been I, I would say, like you I agree with you in that this he, he's been more impressive this year and that Georgia's offense has been their highlight. And that's been kind of to yeah. me the thing that sets them apart from all these other teams, though their defense has still been very good. Um but he hasn't stood out. I think, like, just as an example, I think Georgia is – this is just me. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. I think Georgia is better if you put Caleb Williams on Georgia. Oh, 100%. I think, I think Georgia is better if you put Bryce Young on Georgia. Yes. I think Georgia is better if you put C.J. Stroud on Georgia. I think Georgia is better if you put Max Duggan on Georgia. I agree with that as well. I think Bo Nix is debatable. Because you mentioned Ron. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think Bo Nix is debatable. Um, there's other – and there's other quarterbacks. The list goes on. I don't think yeah, – I mean, Hen- I think Hendon Hooker, they're better. Hendon Hooker. Yeah. I think Hendon Hooker. I think they're better with Hendon Hooker. Yeah. Healthy, obviously. Yeah. So, 
I don't know. I don't think I don't think Ben is the guy. And I think you, I don't think you can necessarily say that about the other guys that they picked. So yeah. I don't know. For me, it, it just it just looks like a thing. And I keep seeing it on ESPN and all these other channels where it's like, it's just oh, it's just just so oh, you gotta love this guy. And it's like ah, I mean, I mean, look, it's impressive. I, I'm not disrespecting what he's done. Yeah. And, and he could win another Natty, and and you know that's that'll be. <laughs> that's, I mean, I guarantee you he's gonna he's gonna use all of this for fuel. But, like he's gonna like I expect him to play great in the Cowboys playoffs because we're talking yeah. about the fact that he didn't deserve it. But it also Probably. part of that is because he has a great team around him too. Like that's yes. part of it. Like and, and I think to me, I also for the Heisman, like I have a tough time voting for you for the Heisman if I feel like there's a player, like especially an offensive player, if there's a player on your offense that I think is head and shoulders the way more best player on, on offense. And that's <laughs> clearly Brock Bowers is head and shoulders. Yeah, way the best, the best player. On George's offense, and he makes Stetson Bennett better. Like yes. Stetson Bennett uh, does not uh, make Brock Bowers better. Let's make that clear. Like to me, like that—that's like that to me is like your <laughs> right. most like disqualifying thing with Stetson Bennett. It's like, yes. does he make him better at all? No. And it's like I, no. Brock, Brock Bowers. I could be throwing to Brock Bowers, and he would Brock catch Bowers, 700, 800 yards in the season. If Caleb Williams was Brock Bowers' quarterback, oh come on, he, he'd be a he'd be they'd be talking about him like 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 he if he should be a top five pick. I mean, Brock Bowers is a stud and clearly Georgia's best offensive player. So to say, well, we're going to put his quarterback who we don't think actually elevates him in the top four, I don't know. I, I, it just seems to me, it just, I don't, like, I, it, it's kind of like when we talk about these NBA awards, we're like, yo, who voted? Like, and actually, I think the Heisman is pretty transparent. I think we'll know who these voters are now. There's like thousands of them. So we're going to really piece through these people to find them out, find them out. But it's just like, yeah, I really want to know, like, especially if he got any first place votes. Like, who are these people who clearly probably from the South? Like, who are these people that got these votes? And like, they need to explain themselves. Like, that because that's that that to me was ridiculous that he got in. Like, it's just there's too much other factors in Georgia's greatness outside of Stetson to say that he's a he's the most outstanding player in all college football. Not to say he's not a great even a great player. I, I think right, he's yeah, had a great yeah. I think he's had a great season. I really do. But we're talking about the Heisman Trophy, and they're guys who carried their teams on their backs this year, who ain't on the list. <laughs> like I, that, 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 that didn't make sense to me. So I, I did you know. And again, Justin Bennett had a great season. Congrats, of course, to all the Heisman finalists. I did think that it was unfortunate that we didn't get to see Hooker or Corum there. Like that to me, I, I just thought that that was an injustice. But um, but let's keep the show moving. Let's talk about Coach Prime, uh, Sham. So. Hey. Deion Sanders is officially the new head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes. Coach Prime signed a five-year, $25 million contract with Colorado, who suffered a 1-11 season this past year. So definitely starting at the ground level, and there's nowhere to go but up for Deion and his new team. But this also means that his time at Jackson State is over, and it was a three-year tenure. That saw its uh, fair share of hype, un- unprecedented exposure, and attention, not just for Jackson State, but for other HBCUs. Um, there were there was money coming in, also, in part because of Deion Sanders for sure. But at the end of the day, now it's over, and it has led people to ask the question: Was this the right time? For Dion to leave Jackson State, and what were his actual intentions 
if he was planning to leave this early from Jackson State. And he's taking his fair share of criticism. And Sham, I said it on Twitter when this was talked when this was talked about a couple weeks ago. And it's how I still feel is that look, I'm not someone who felt like Deion Sanders had to stay at Jackson State forever. Maybe because I just wasn't naive to think that that was actually going to happen. But I do feel like for the move to be to Colorado, a a, a program that I I, I tweeted that they were middling, but I mean, that's actually probably being kind to Colorado. I mean, they've been a down, they've been a downtrodden (laughs) program. This is not a, oh, you know, there's, there are arguments to be made that they are sleeping giant because this is a a program that once was great. So I I don't want to say that, oh, like this, this is something that just, they can't ever win. Like they used to go to like, they used to be national championship contenders, but like, this is a team that has had, they haven't, they've only had one 10 win season in the past like 20 years. And that was in 2016. And they've now had one, oh, they had, they had, they had one weird year where they uh, were four and two in the pandemic year. Let's take that out there. They've had one, two, three, four straight losing seasons outside of that pandemic year. And it's just been a mess. It's been a mess since uh, the late, the, no, I don't think he's dead, Dick. Not late, but the the great Dan Hawkins and he was saying it was Division One football and it's the Big Twelve. Like pretty much since he took over um, for Gary Barnett, who had the whole um, there was a massive scandal that happened at Colorado, a uh, sex scandal there. They, they've been a disaster. So this is not even a middling program. This is like the bottom of the Power Five. And to me, if Dion was going to make the jump from Jackson State, given how he presented the opportunity at Jackson State to first be Colorado and not a job that you could see kind of great and and big things happening for for him like that that leaves me a little disappointed now i am torn because i feel like i don't one i am like especially cuz it's where i am in my life i am aggressively pro anyone pursuing their dreams and happiness like i i'm very aggressively in favor of that in almost every circumstance. So there's that part of it that makes me empathize with Dion because Dion clearly wants to be a power five football coach. And I think he said that not necessarily when he got at Jackson, but he said that before, <laughs> um, right. which is part of the problem probably. And then two, um, a black FBS coach being hired is not nothing. That's not nothing. Like there are only like 13 of them in all of FBS. Like, it is a very small number. We talk about the issues in the NFL with black coaches. There's issues in college football at the FBS level also with black coaches. So I also can't just ignore the fact that, well, a Power 5 school has hired a black coach. Now, this is one of the few schools that keeps hiring five, hiring black coaches because Mel Tucker was there, and then Carl Durrell was there, and then they just um, now uh, hired Deion Sanders. This is like three in a row, technically. Uh, Mike Sanford was an interim there but you know as far as uh, permanent coaches they've had now three straight black coaches so that's something that i have to support so there's that but i think the issue i have and and what's frustrating me is how this this how the people who are very much in favor of Dion moving trying to defend Dion moving are t- really attacking anybody being critical is they keep centering it around money Dion is going to make almost $6 million a year in this deal. He was making only 300. I say only 
obviously relative. We all know three hundred thousand was a lot for a lot of people. It would be a hell of a lot for me. He's gonna make three. He was making three hundred thousand at Jackson State. He had actually donated half his salary this past season to help Jackson State with facilities and things like that. I have a problem with people saying, "Well, you can't criticize him because anybody would take a you know fifteen hundred." 2,000% increase in pay. You can't make that judgment. You can't sit here and say, oh, well, how dare you? Because you would do the same thing. But I think those people who keep making that case just haven't listened to anything Dion has said. <laughs> because Dion Sanders himself has spoken about how when he got to Jackson, it was about some being something bigger than football. It was about something being bigger than money. He 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 he's a very religious man. I respect his religious beliefs. He talked a lot about God sending him to Jackson State to help save HBCUs. This is the kind of rhetoric that Deion Sanders was using. Nobody forced him to say this stuff. So to me, when you go and and not only are you using this rhetoric to the public, but now you're also instilling a level of belief in a lot of people, black people particularly, but a lot of people, especially people in the Jackson community, in the HBCU community, that there is now hope because we have somebody here who is trying to build something that is better than sustainable, that is not uh, that that is not motivated by the other thing that normally would motivate coaches to take bigger jobs. They see the they see one the greatness that is in HBCUs and the advantages that HBCUs bring, and he they see he sees the promise, and he's committed to putting us on the level that we feel like we're supposed to be on. And I say we as in those people in HBCU communities. So when you sell that, and then you backtrack or you leave, and in three years is not a long time. I don't want to hear oh he's at three years. That's that's nothing in college football. You leave in three years, it just feels like all those things you said. I don't know. I don't know if Dion necessarily. I don't. I don't. I don't look at him as this like liar or this like super deceptive guy. But I think he. I think he's the kind of person that just is very impulsive, and I think that you know he's very emotional. I think he is very spiritual, and I think that he saw an opportunity to fulfill a dream that he never would have gotten the opportunity to have had he not taken the Jackson state job and he took it. And now he's saying that God sent him to Colorado. And that's the part that's just disappointing to me. And, and, and like, when I hear this arguments about, Oh, well money, money, money. It's like, first of all, this is a man who's made like a hundred million dollars in his life. Don't talk to me about money when it comes to this person. Don't compare me and the, the decisions I would make with money to this guy <laughs> who's a millionaire. Don't tell me that. That doesn't, that's, that's, that's stupid. Number one, Number two, a lot of people turn down lucrative jobs because they want to make an impact in their community. Like, I think because we are kind of sold this American dream of capitalism and that capitalism is the end all be all and therefore it's all about the almighty dollar. And that is how our American society is. But it's like, it makes people like go out there and make critiques saying, oh, nobody would turn down lucrative jobs for the sake of their of, of, of a better cause. I'm like, people do that every day. 
<laughs> I know people who have done that. I literally know coaches right. who have done that. Shout out to Ron DeClario, who coaches at Cardozo High School in Queens, New York. I've talked to Ron DeClario about the fact about the fact that he has turned down college jobs because he feels like what he does and the opportunity he gives young black kids to go to a high school, the caliber of Cardozo, is a bigger calling. That's the one I know. So don't tell me, oh, everybody just just takes the bag and and runs and then leaves people behind. That's not true. Mm-hmm. So that's my issue with these people that keep trying to push this idea that, well, Dion's just like everybody else. No, he's not. No, he's not. <laughs> he may be like a lot of people. He may be, he may be like most people, but that's the problem because he literally kept telling us that this was special. This was supposed to be different. I don't know how you feel about this, Sham. Do you feel like the the, crit- the criticism for him is, is 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 unfair? I don't feel like it's unfair at all. So so I feel so it's weird. I've seen and this is to me. I love this discussion because it's so is such a is such an interesting discussion. And, I do too. And there's so many different kind of ways to look at it. I I've I one thing that I've seen and that I have. I've kind of um, embraced is is that and and you can call it straddling the fence and, and I'd probably be like yeah I guess I'm straddling the fence a little bit <laughs> um, yeah. just in the sense of I can see both and, and shout out to by the way uh, Gary Chambers Jr. who should be a who should be a uh, one of a political representative in Louisiana he got he got the short end of the stick there um, but shout out to him I saw he posted on social media. His reaction, and I kind of embraced that as well, um, is that to, he say, and he said, and I agree, two things can be true. You can mm-hmm. both be happy to see Dion advance his career and, you know, accept this new opportunity for him and, and be happy to see him do that. Um, and also upset and sad that he is leaving this HBCU and, and, and yeah. uh, you know, and, and, you know, both of those things can be true. Yeah. I'm you know, wishing Dion well. I hope he does right. great. I'm rooting for him. Yeah. You know, so uh, to me, it's not, I'm not, and certainly not dumping on Dion, saying, oh, did, you know, at Dion, blah, 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 blah. Now, uh, another thing that I've, that I've heard that I understand, um, an understanding of is that now, look, I'm not someone that, that, that is so much pointing the finger of, oh, well, you didn't go to an HBCU, so you don't have a voice in this. But I've heard some people say things like that. Like, well, if you're criticizing him, how much have you donated to HBCUs? How much have yes, you? Did you go to an HBCU? Have you visited an HBCU? And now all of a sudden, there's all these people that are that are, you know, that are furious <laughs> that Dion is leaving an HBCU. And 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 now look, I think just in terms of now, look, of course, I didn't go to an HBCU. Um, neither, neither did I. But I do think, and you know, I think I don't think you have to have gone to an HBCU to see the value in those of institutions. Course. And to to want them to strive and to want them to do well, um, but I am someone that is that is more disconnected from that from that environment, and yeah. and I've I've heard various things from people that have gone to HBCUs. So I've heard that people that that have gone to HBCUs that are furious at Dion, yeah, that are irate, <laughs> you know. So it's so I'm not now. I am very much just. I'm happy for Dion, you know, and you know EJ. I grew up, I was a fan of Dion Sanders. Yes, right? yeah, one of your all-time favorite players. Yeah. Always a fan of Dion Sanders. 
Um, and, you know, I think he did a lot of good things at Jackson State, obviously. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, there's, some, there's some people who say, oh, like, he actually didn't do that. Like, I'm not going to sit here and yeah, be no. revisionist. I, I think he right, did a yeah, lot of great on. things for Jackson State for the time he was there. Yeah, I do. Um, and I think now was I, it did it was a lot of show no no him in front of the camera and him talking like right, of was it obviously beneficial to him yes which is yes. where the critique comes in you know but right. there are also people who were impacted in a positive yes. way and I also think that the kind of the issues that people are a lot of the issues that people are having with Dion leaving are issues that aren't stemming from Dion himself uh, yes they're issues that that there's problems with HBCUs not having the proper resources and, and just kind of, kind of us as, as a community um, and, you know, as a people supporting our institutions financially and any, any, any other way that we can so that they have the proper resources Um, and, and just, you know, trying to, trying to, to support, uh, then, of course, like financially, but also in other kind of, um, you know, in terms of activism and awareness and other things to try to help HBCUs get more. And, and we all know that that, that and we all know that that crusade is going to last way longer than three years. That's it, why there's a right. frustration. And Dion pushed a narrative that this was not going to be three years. And he pushed mm-hmm. a narrative that this was that there was a altruistic like tent to everything he was doing at Jackson State. It wasn't just I'm here to coach football. If Deion Sanders goes in and say, look, I'm here to coach football. I want to show these young men that they could, you know, we could put on a great football team and however long I'm here, I'm here, but I want to make a great impact for these young people. I don't I don't think I don't know if I have like any criticism of him. I don't I don't I don't think I'd have any. It's it's the criticism comes from the fact that he made it about, you know, he he signed in like twenty twenty. So we know what time it was in 2020 with George Floyd and all that stuff. And he's not shy away from connecting his time at Jackson State and the mission he was on to save HBCU athletics to the political activism that was happening. So we all knew that that was not going to be a one-year project, (laughs) what happened after George Floyd. We knew that that was going to take decades, centuries probably to get whatever progress we're trying to get. So he should know that that, thing is not going to be a three-year thing and we all understood that and there was hope that he would only leave again for me i can only speak for myself there was hope that if he would leave he would leave because it was some insane like he was coaching the university of miami like he was like okay like it's miami like okay i get it oh you got hired by alabama okay i get it it's alabama like color like it, it just looks like you were just looking for any decent like again, I can't. I don't know if I can say decent. This has been a terrible job, but any power five, any name, any job with a name—that's what it looked like you were looking for. Mm-hmm. Right. Because apparently there were three schools in the running. None of them were all that impressive. So you're talking about South Florida, and you're talking about Cincinnati's had a very good program under Luke Fickle, and I don't honestly, I don't think they really wanted him. I think he, I don't, I don't know what why his name was in there. I would have been shocked they went from Fickle to Deion Sanders, but. Those apparently were the three teams, but so two non-power five teams, and then a one of the worst power five teams you could possibly sign with. So, like to me, it looks like you were just looking for an out, like the first chance you got. Like if Dion actually would have like 
held serve there for three, four more years, you would think that he would have got much better job offers. So mm-hmm. like that, so that for me always was the thing. I knew this was not going to be a long term thing. It couldn't be because I know Deion Sanders, but it was like really Colorado. Like this is how this ends. Like, um, speaking of Colorado, I cannot. We cannot end the segment without playing the speech, part of the speech that Deion Sanders gave to the remaining players at Colorado because it is a doozy. This is Deion Sanders talking to his new players, but I'm not sure how much longer they'll be his players based on this speech. We got a few positions already taken care of because I'm bringing my luggage with me. And it's Louis. I'm cut. It ain't going to be no more of the mess that these wonderful fans, the student body, and some of your parents have put up with for probably two decades now. I'm coming. And when I get here, it's going to be changed. So I want y'all to get ready to go ahead and jump in that portal and do whatever you're going to get. Because the more you jump in, the more room you make. Because we bring kids that are smart. Say that smart. Smart. Tough. Tough. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Sham. Like, I'm trying to figure out which part was funnier. The part where he said, I, I, I bring, I'm bringing my own luggage with me, and it's Louis <laughs> referring to the kind of players he was, he was going to be bringing in, or the part where he said this. So I want y'all to get ready to go ahead and jump in the portal. Just inviting his players to leave. And he said the more of you guys leave, the more room it'll make to bring in better players. Like, now, what I will say, Sham, is – I think this was like the first like, – a lot of people were mortified by this, and it they should be. This was kind of classless, but a lot of people are learning like that – something I learned in high school, and I kind of – I will tweet it out and say it to remind people, and they, I don't think – a lot of people know this. College football players get cut. College basketball players get cut. But the way they're cut is different than an NBA or an NFL team. Like – when they say, hey, you see a guy transfer, sometimes they're not transferring because, oh, I want to find a better opportunity or, oh, like, you know, uh, like this school, like I want to live closer to my family. They'll make up those excuses. But, like, a lot of those players got cut. Their coach went there and told them, look, you will never play another down or another second on the court for my team. It is best for you to leave. That is how they cut them. Because what player is going to sit there and say, no, I'll stay? Like, I mean, some of them do, and you never see those guys see the field, see the quarter field again. But ninety nine percent of those guys say, "Okay, I, if you're a D one athlete, somebody will take you." So they go somewhere else. And this was essentially a lot of America seeing what I knew happened for years. Now I don't think I've ever seen it in that regard, where it was like a group cutting. It was just like, "Hey, all you guys that won one game last year, y'all better go ahead and get in that portal." So I want y'all to get ready to go ahead and jump in that portal. I mean, Shem, th- that was unbelievable, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was, I was pretty shocked. I was pretty shocked. Um, you know, uh, I mean, the, although, I, like, I was shocked, but at the same time, I wasn't shocked because this is Coach Prime. You know, so <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be shocked, I guess. 
it's one of those things where he's just like, yeah, you know, Coach Prime is going to, he's not going to mince words, you know. Um, and, you know, like you said, you know, like you said, he's a very passionate guy. Um, not one of mince words. And, you know, on the one hand, you appreciate his honesty, <laughs> you know, at least. And, um, uh, you know, and you also forget as well, uh, he was uh, almost on his deathbed. Remember, he had the freaking the issue yeah. with his leg and. Yeah, you know he had a lot of he had a stuff he had a lot of stuff going on. Emptied a toe, I believe. Yeah, he had a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of stuff. Dion's been through a lot of stuff, so he's not. He's here. He's like, listen, I'm trying to win. He's like, listen, you guys, this this team has been bad, and we're not going to be bad anymore. So you guys. You guys, that, you, that were the reason why you were bad. Your maybe y'all, team is bad. Maybe y'all should leave. So, if y'all want to go someplace else, Yo, that <laughs> you is can wild. go ahead and do that. Now, I will say, like, I, the only reason why I say it's classless is because, like, here's why I say it's classless. Because, one, like, they were filming this. I know this was, like, off the right. cell phone. But, like, they're at, there's, like a, there's someone holding a boom mic, and there's, like, videographers there. So, this is not like, oh... Like, someone had a cell phone, we just kind of, like, heard a conversation that wasn't supposed to be told, heard to everybody. Like, like this was, this is going to get out. If it, it won't get, maybe it won't get out knock. Maybe, maybe they don't think it looks good. But this was going to get out regardless. So, this was, like, not, oh, I got caught in something that wasn't going to be promoted. They were going to promote this speech. And you're talking about, like, kids and you're saying, like, oh, you know, the mess that your parents had to do. Like, you're not you bring your parents involved. Like, you're, you disappointed your parents. You disappointed the, the city. You disappointed. Like, you know, okay, if you're a pro and you want to say that, I mean, yeah, that's fine. But I'm like, I don't know. I seemed a little harsh, especially for someone who didn't doesn't know these kids. Now, we know they were 1-11, so we know they clearly didn't perform to the level that they should have. But I think when you combine, like, the – the filming of it and and the fact that you know these are kids like I, I i didn't i mean it's it's a it's it's a it's 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 a sound bite like hall of famer like we're we're never gonna forget we're never gonna forget these one-liners my luggage with me and it's louis i mean who even thinks like that like like that like that line is that line is hard i'm not gonna front like i might not like this but i'm bringing my luggage with me and then he pauses and it's Louis. <laughs> so that's to describe the kind of players he's bringing in. I mean, there's no one like there's no one like Deion Sanders. And we saw in that speech he announced to. <laughs> I mean, this thing was surreal. And again, it shouldn't be surprising because of Deion. I mean, you see in the press conference he he has his son there, Shadour, who's a, a really good quarterback, um, really good coming out of high school. He's been great at Jackson State, who I, we now know I guess is <laughs> entering the portal. Um, he was like, I'm gonna introduce y'all to our y'all new starting quarterback. <laughs> and it's Shador, Shador Sanders. Like this, 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 this felt like Iron Man, uh, you know, making his speech that he's Iron Man or like when Iron Man was supposed to bring out, uh, Spider-Man in, in, uh, in Far From Home or ra- rather that was, what was it? Uh, that wasn't Far From Home. What, what movie was that? That was, uh, that was the first one, Homecoming at the end when he was supposed to introduce him as a new Avenger. Like that's the feeling <laughs> Like Dion tried not his son and meet y'all new quarterback. I'm like, wow, okay. So any quarterback that's on that squad, I guess you know, you don't got much of a shot to win that job. Oh man. Yeah. I do want to play. We'll wrap this here. I want to give Bomani Jones the last word. Bomani Jones. A lot of people have been critical of Dion, and I did think that he probably had the most sound taken all this. I want to give him the final word here because uh, we're both fans of Bomani Jones and. 
He's usually right a lot. So here's Bomani Jones on the critique of Deion Sanders. There's room to criticize him for the way that he has left and for the fact that his initial rhetoric is not in line with his ultimate. Well, what would you have him do? What, what would I, you have the man do? Oh, well, I wouldn't have come in in the first place and said that God sent me here to fix HBCUs and God decided that in the middle of it, you were supposed to leave. <laughs> right. I mean, like the thing I've said is maybe God wants 10 percent of five mil and not 10 percent of 375. If God can do math, I can understand why it is. He sold a dream and then walked out on the dream. People have the right to be critical of that. I also would have taken the job that he took at Colorado, right? It's not a judgment of the fact that he took the job, but this is not in line with what he told us for all these years. That was Bomani Jones on CNN. Let's uh, shift to NFL sham. So the hottest team in the NFL suffered a major blow this week. Jimmy Garoppolo broke his foot in the team's win over the Miami Dolphins. The 49ers had to turn to Mr. Irrelevant. And for those who have been hearing that reference and don't understand what that means, Brock Purdy was the last pick in the NFL draft. And the tagline or the the, the, the moniker Mr. Irrelevant has always been given to the last player drafted in the draft. And that player is now Brock Purdy. I think I saw a stat sheet that apparently – uh, there's never been a Mr. Irrelevant to complete a pass in the NFL. Like, like, uh, uh, that, which is like, it's not surprising, I guess. Cause it's like how, well, a, how many of these guys are quarterbacks and B like how many of these guys actually get in regular season games. So like Brock Purdy went out there, he threw two touchdowns. He looked pretty good in the win, but obviously with the 49ers rolling people and really starting to look really scary at this point with the way their defense is playing, with the way their skill players are coming along, this seemed like a major blow to have Jimmy G. Well, not seem it is a major major blow. But when he broke his foot, the word initially was that they thought he was done, that this was possibly a Liz Frank situation, and that he would not be able to return this season. Now, according to uh, various uh, you know ESPN reporters, Adam Schefter, uh, Nick Wagner also uh, was reporting on this as well. Um, there's hope that Jimmy Rockwell could actually return. They, they say that he does not need surgery, that he did not suffer a Liz Frank injury. And right now, the timeline for his return would be seven weeks. Now, that would put him in line to return for potentially the NFC Championship game. Um, of course, if it goes eight weeks, I mean, excuse me, that NFC Divisional round, uh, if it goes to something like the NFC Championship game, that would be eight weeks. The Super Bowl is, is right now 10 weeks away. So, 10 weeks, you're saying that definitely seems in play. So the 49ers, as of right now, don't sound like they're like going to make some major drastic move outside of signing Josh Johnson. I know I've made the case that they should go after Baker Mayfield, but that didn't happen. He's going to be uh, a member of the Los Angeles Rams for the rest of the season. Um, but, Sham, do you feel that there's still hope for the Niners with Brock Purdy until Garoppolo comes back, or are you writing them off for the season? Um, so, so I, so most of what I got to see from Purdy was from the stat line, but it didn't look bad. Um, I didn't watch the game until full disclosure, full disclosure. Um, I didn't have the, a chance to watch, uh, to watch that one, but, um, uh, but again, from what I heard, he didn't play too bad. So, I mean, I, and look, honestly, uh, and you know, I saw a good amount of Brock Purdy, he didn't play 
Um, you know, he didn't look like fantastic. He didn't look like Trevor Lawrence, but he wasn't by any means a bad college football player. Um, I don't really think I, I, I'm honestly a little shocked. He was Mr. Irrelevant. I didn't think it was that bad. I would, I mean, I would, he, he had, he had a great junior year, not a senior year that the wheels came off of that right. Iowa state team. They had a lot of expectations. Right. Um, but you know, I, in terms of him being drafted, I'm a little shocked that he was Mr. Irrelevant, but you know, I mean, it kind of is what it is, I guess. Uh, so I don't, I definitely don't think their season is over, um, by any stretch of the imagination. I think, um, you know, I think the Niners have, have they've looked so, they've looked so good. They've looked much better than I thought they would, um, uh, than I thought they would be after getting McCaffrey. So, so yeah, I don't know. And their defense is, is just, I don't know what, I don't know what's happened to their defense, but they're just unstoppable. Um, so, or they're, they're stopping everybody, I guess. So, um, so yeah, no, I, I think, I think the Niners are still, um, I think there's still a team to 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 uh, be on the lookout for, and Brock, this is Brock Purdy's chance to to kind of show what he's got. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll see how it goes. I'm torn on this on this one. I mean, look, if there's any team that could trot out a Mister Irrelevant QB in his rookie year and make a run in the postseason, like that's built for that, it's probably this team. I mean, this is like this is your ultimate plug-in QB here squad because your defense is ready-made. Nick Bosa is having a tremendous season. Fred Warner is a, just a monster at linebacker. Their secondary is elite, so their defense is just stacked. And we saw what they what they did to Tua Tagovailoa, and he had his worst game of the season playing against this ferocious Niners team. Then you look at the offense. You got a great offensive line. You got uh, wide receivers all over the place with Ayuk, Samuel. Christian McCaffrey could be a running back on one play. He could be a wide receiver in the next play. You got George Kittle. Like, they're loaded. They're a loaded squad. It's like, this is going to be, like, I feel like we're going to learn a lot about what quarterback play is in the NFL with this team. Because it's like, if there's any team that you would think that anybody could win with, it's probably this squad, especially with the way they're playing. And, like, in the first time we saw Brock Purdy, it looked like anybody could win with them because Brock Purdy played pretty damn good. So, I, I I tend to think that they could maybe win a game, maybe two, but, like, there's no way they could get out of the NFC with Brock Purdy. Like, to win, I guess they probably win, oh, no, they, they got to win three games because they're definitely not going to get the number one overall seed. So, you got to win three games against good teams in the NFC. I just I, that would that would shock me if with Brock Purdy or even if it's Jimmy Garoppolo coming off the coming literally off the men or or on the men I guess whatever that phrase is <laughs> um I probably butchered that but uh, you know what I mean like Jimmy Garoppolo on the men coming back and he hasn't played in two months and or a month or whatever and you're saying all right go out there and go beat the Eagles or go beat the Cowboys like I mean I'm not saying it's impossible but that just feels very unlikely to me so. I think to win the Super Bowl, I would say they're they're probably done as harsh, but like that's very unlikely. I, I that that's probably not going to happen. Could they win a game or even two with Brock Purdy and or Jimmy Garoppolo? That I could see because their first round matchup is going to be against a team that is uh, just not that impressive. Whether it's the Giants, 
whether it's the Seahawks, whether it's the Commanders. Like, I think they, they could beat any of those teams with Brock Purdy. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but they can definitely beat them. Could they then go and beat the Minnesota Vikings with one game with Purdy or uh, uh, the other guy? Um, Grapple coming back for a divisional round on the road. That's a tall order. I don't think it's impossible, but that would be a tall order. Would that be a tall order? I'd say I'd give them a chance. Do I think that they could then beat either the Eagles or the Cowboys in a conference championship game? Three in a row now? Hell no. There's just I think at a certain point the rubber's gotta beat the road. And they would have seen we would have seen a lot of tape on Brock Purdy by that point. Or is Jimmy Rappel trying to play a hero coming off of, of of being injured and trying to, you know, shake off the rust. I I think at a certain point, like having competent quarterback play that's not Mr. Relevant matter matters to some degree. So I'm gonna say that they don't they don't get there. But this uh, this is the most fascinating thing in the NFL to me. This team now. Like, they, they weren't that fascinating before. They were just really good, and they were a team that absolutely could win Super Bowl. Now they're very interesting. So I'm like, this is great. Like, we're actually going to see, like, could any, literally anybody run Kyle Shanahan's system with this these weapons and this defense? We're about to find out. It's going to be very fascinating. Um, what are your thoughts quickly, Sham, on uh my guy, Mike White, getting out there? Well, I call him my guy. I actually said he shouldn't have started, but he's my guy now with the way he's been playing. Like, is Zach Wilson just cooked? Like he's just not he's never seen the field again in your eyes. Um and Mike White looked really good in that Vikings game. Like he did. Gotta, I, people who are like you gotta know the box score because I know he threw two picks. One of them was like the desperation at the end of the game. The other one was a deflection. So like neither of them were like pure interceptions per se. Right. Yeah, no, I um I mean, it's hard for me to say, like, he'll never be. I mean, that's hard to say. Because um, Salah keeps saying that, like, the plan is still to go back to Zach Wilson at some point. Yeah, that I think that I think is unwise. That I, I, I don't I don't believe him uh, when he says that. I mean, I, I mean, maybe that's what they're hoping. That Zach Wilson just the, I think they're I think they're maybe that's what they hope that the light bulb would just flick on in his head, but that's not going to happen. But wouldn't um, that doesn't that also yeah. suggest Sham that so. like like not only does it suggest that Zach Wilson will I I don't know, what does he have to do to actually show that he's like has he looked that bad in practice this whole time where like you got to see him practice well like what does he have to do to get on the field how can he earn his time when he's not playing number one and number two. Doesn't that also suggest that, like, they think Mike White is going to turn into a pumpkin at some point? That would have to suggest that. Because, like, how could you possibly, with right. the way Mike White played the last two weeks, like, if let's say he just plays, like, that caliber the rest of the season, pretty good, and he gets bad teams, he's really good. Like, at what point are you saying, all right, Zach wasn't going there? Like, how could how could you sell that to an NFL locker room? That sounds That sounds ridiculous. Yeah, it's really yeah, ridiculous. No. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I don't – that's why I'm like, I I don't know. Of course, we don't know what he what he's looked like at practice. I doubt he's looked good at practice. And even just – I saw just the other day, I saw a clip of him doing whatever, like warm-ups or whatever. With They showed him with the other players and Mike White and Flacco. And Wilson, like, wasn't even participating. He was, like, half-assing the whole thing. And it's like, this guy's not going to – I'm watching this. I'm like, this guy's not going to see the field again. He's – He's just – he's acting like he's still the starter and he's not – like this guy's not seeing the field for the rest of the season. That's just – I don't think it's going to happen. 
I feel like they want. I feel like what when Salah says those comments, things like that, he wants to see something like a fire lit under Zach. That's what he, I think. That's what he wants to see. That's what, of course. But you think, I think, you that's, think that? You I think, think that's what that, the owner like, wants to see. The, the GM. I think they want to see Zach all of a sudden just have that that you know kind of that uh you know whatever the the training he want, they want the the Rocky training montage where like Zach it just right. you know. So like you think they, that they're holding like the fact that he could come back as a carrot for him. That, yes. Like, don't give up on the season because you could be back out there. Yeah. Even though they know they ain't going back to him. That actually, that's that's not. I have not heard one good explanation why Robert Sala keeps saying this. That is the first one I've heard. I mean, that's the best one I can come up with because it doesn't make any sense to right. Uh, I mean, that like like to it, to want to bench Mike White when Zach has looked. And you know me, I've said basically every week how bad he's looked. Oh, yeah, you've been killing, to you've been killing him. him since since he got back out. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to want to put him out on the field, to want to put him out on the field looking how he looked. Makes no sense. Um, so, you know, that's the, my best guess for what it is as for why they're saying that. Um, and, you know, again, just holding out whatever errant hope that he'll get it. But I don't think he will because I just he's he's shown that he's got that whatever that Baker – Whatever that thing is, where he just he doesn't feel like he has to listen to anybody. I don't know who's in his ear. Yeah, he has, he has entitlement. He has entitlement. Yeah. That entitlement led him to make that stupid ass remark about he didn't owe the defense any apology or any explanation for his crappy ass play. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm really stuck on that explanation. I I really think you might be right on that because I've I've again I've heard zero good answer as to why Sal keeps saying something that sounds like he doesn't know anything about football. <laughs> and I know Robert Sal knows about football. But you're right. This is a young kid, and he sees the forest through the trees. I mean, he's not. I don't think he's a dumb kid, and he sees the locker room rallying around Mike White. He sees the fan base rallying around Mike White. He sees how much everybody's out on him. If you're telling him what well, we want to try to fix you, how do you tell him we're gonna fix you? But you're definitely not getting back out there. Like what's now? I could argue he should try to want to. Get, he should want to get fixed anyway. But this is athletes. These are guys who have egos. I, I, I get that. So, yeah, could you say, look, I'm, I'm going to publicly go out there and say he's, he, that we want to get him back out there so that when he's doing these drills, he's actually giving a damn. And he's actually really trying to figure out these things that were, were hurting this team. And, and it maybe if there is an injury to Mike White, we can go back to him and feel good. Um, or if the Mike White just throws five picks one week, we say, okay, maybe we do have to go back to Zach because this was just nothing, that's not sustainable. Like, I don't know. I think that's I, th- I think Sham really is on something that I think that was a good point there, Sham. Um, I do want to end the show here talking quickly about what I thought was one of the most shocking five midseason firings I think I've ever seen following the NFL. So, John Robinson. He is the GM or was the general manager of the Tennessee Titans. Tennessee Titans, of course, they were the number one overall seed in the AFC last year. They got off to a slow start, and they've lost a couple games in a row. But they are in first place in a miserable AFC South. But none of those things apparently were enough to keep John Robinson around because he has been fired as the general manager of the Tennessee Titans. Now, they did just come off of a embarrassing loss where a player that they traded AJ Brown and didn't want to pay and AJ Brown kind of just pants it's like they pants them. 
<laughs> well, you didn't pay this guy. Then he goes out there and he just annihilates you with his new team and has a big game, and you guys get blown off the field. And a game that, for some reason, people kept thinking the Titans could win. I don't know why. Like, I, people keep doubting the Eagles. I'm like, okay, the, the, you are what your record is. They're 11 and 1. Like, this is a great team. I don't know why. People keep trying to convince themselves that this team isn't good. And I'm like, oh, okay. So the Eagles did what I totally expected them to do, which was demolish a one dimensional, very ordinary Titans team. But it's a Titans team that still is in first place. It is a team that's been well run over the past few years. This is a team that's been in the playoffs several times over the past few years. This is not. Um, what did uh, what was the, the line that Joe uh, Joe Judge, Joe Judge said? This is not some clown organization. Um, that the Giants were a clown organization under him. But <laughs> but the Titans aren't some clown. They are not some clown organization. Like maybe the the maybe the AJ Brown thing was a bad move. But like who knows? Like they weren't going to win with him, and they drafted a guy who looks pretty good in Traylon Burks when he's healthy. So, I, I like. What do you think is going on? Like, there has been my initial thought when I saw this firing was, oh, he did some Ime Udoka stuff, and that's why he's. I, I that's why I jumped to, because I'm like, why, why now? Like, why have fire a GM in the middle of the season? He can't. He can't actually do anything really to help you. Like, you can't trade deadline is passed. I guess maybe he can pick up guys in the street, you know, for the practice squad or elevate certain. But there's very little he can do to really like fix anything like i like it seems like a weird time before you even get to the postseason and see what happens say okay we're gonna fire the gm like what do you think is going on what do you think is going on i don't know if your mic's uh muted but. oh yes thank you thank you so much for yeah that. um yeah this one is um yeah i don't know honestly i'm, I'm not totally sure what is happening here? When I see, whenever I see stuff like this, it makes me believe that there's something else going on that we just don't know or we don't see here. Um, yeah, and I, because, I went to like email Doku. Yeah. It, it could be like he just like like the owner hates him. Like it could they, like it, like it yeah. could be like they have, there's a, like a toxic relationship with like how he handles you know like ownership or just people around the organization. Like we've heard that before too, where it's just like yeah, you know, like a Mark Jackson situation where it's like the guy's winning, right. but like nobody can nobody likes him. Yeah, because this this seems like this type of move seems like something where you're just waiting for a really bad moment to just okay, I don't like this guy, let me get rid of him. You right. know, like yeah, yeah. And after you're getting right. embarrassed the way the team did, you're just like, all right, now you're gone, right? Like this is just so. And look, that happens at 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 jobs and places for various reasons or you know uh, whatever. But that's I ha- I get the sense that that's what this is something that we don't know about something behind the scenes something we just don't know about maybe we'll never know i don't know but i don't think this has anything to do with football to to be completely honest um because not like the titans are um are like an embarrassment or anything like that so it's kind of surprising yeah yeah no i i i i agree man like i i think that it is it is strange, especially when you fire, a, you know, any general manager, you tend to think, OK, well, now the coach may be in trouble. But like, is there any reason why they would want to move on from Mike Vrabel? Like, I think Mike Vrabel is a good coach. I think he, I, I think he was a little overrated, but nothing crazy. Like, I like I, he's a very good coach. Like, like there are some people saying he's one of the best, he's the best coach in the league and stuff like that. I, I thought that was a little much. But um, he's a he's a really good coach. He's gotten a lot out of a roster that is. Good, not great, but last two years, 11 wins, uh, 2020, then 12 wins last year, number one seed in the AFC. Of course, they got 
upset by the Bengals, who eventually went on to the Super Bowl. So it's not like they lost a team that was like a scrub team that like, you know, then got demolished in the next week. Like they went and beat the Chiefs. So like, I don't know. Like, I don't think that Vrabel's in any danger. Like, then part of me also wonders, like, is this like some kind of like power play? Like, is Vrabel going to end up being just a GM? Like, could the owner decide, you know what? I like my coach, but I don't like my GM. Let me let the coach make those decisions now. I could, I could actually see that happening. Maybe it just seems very like it just seems it's very rare. I feel like you like you see a general, a new general manager have to get saddled with somebody else's pick for a head coach. It just doesn't. I'm not saying it doesn't happen at all. It does happen, but it's rare. And usually, like to me, it's kind of like the GM, that GM remains more kind of like the new GM kind of becomes more expendable because it's like all right well we've seen this coach have success so if you're not getting the right players in here like we might not let you fire the coach before we figure out if you want to be you're still the guy that hang around you know like mm-hmm. it's, it's it's odd i don't know I, I saw this news cross today and i was really shocked because i just didn't really understand the point of firing a guy mid-season and he's again he's the gm like I can even I can't even understand high firing a head coach this late. Like it it would be like unprecedented. Like it rarely happens for a team that's like obviously in first place. But like if you just think your team needs a spark or whatever, I can almost see that. I, like firing a GM, I'm just like, I mean, do you really think that like the process like they're like are you that concerned that like their draft process is not going well? <laughs> their, their pre their 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 preparation for the combine and stuff like like what's going on now where you, that guy has to leave the building tomorrow. I, I don't. Yeah, it that, sounds like he either said he said or did something. Yeah, like he must have cursed somebody out yeah. or something. Like I don't know. Yeah, something, something doesn't something doesn't smell right with that. I, I don't I don't quite uh, get that. Champ, do you uh, before we get out of here? Do you do you think this Odell Beckham sweepstakes is being overplayed? Because there's a lot of attention on it, and, and you know I work at WFAN in New York City. I talked about it a lot on that station. Uh, shout out to WFAN. Make sure you check us out. On the 6:60 a.m. 101.9 FM Odyssey app, uh, I talked about it on the fan. There's a lot of uh, hope that Odell will sign with the Giants. The Dallas fans in at the Mavs game where he was sitting courtside with the Cowboy players were chanting his name. This is all for a guy who tore his ACL. We don't actually know if he can play yet. Like there's reports today saying that he actually might not be ready until. Later in December, maybe first round of the playoffs. Like, I'm like, and Jerry Jones, even Jerry Jones, who had been just like, he, he was salivating over the idea of signing Odell Beckham. Even today, he was like, oh, I'm not very confident in doing this now because I, I have no idea if he can run. So I'm like, you didn't know? How did you not know that? Why you been talking about this guy for months about how you wanted him? Now today, you're like, oh, he really, we really actually don't know if he can run. Like, he, he hadn't, he won't work out for us. So, this thing is weird. I mean, do you, do you think that is overplayed? Um, I mean, a little bit. Um, but I mean, OBJ. I think I do. I would. I do think he would probably have an impact, a positive impact. Um, but, but he's not. You know, he isn't something you just put him on any team and it's just. Super Bowl contender, like isn't so? Yeah, a little bit. I think I, I think I think a lot of it is also just OBJ being OBJ. 
So, you know, I so yeah, I think it is. I think it is being a little bit overblown. Like it's not like it's not like you're getting uh, it's not like you're getting like D Hop, you know, or or you know someone where it's like this is this is Demonte Adams, you know, or someone where you just you just put them on a team. And you're like, whoa, what is this? What is gonna happen now? Like, it's it's not like that. So I don't know. So yeah, I think it, I think it's a little overplayed, being a little bit overplayed. Um, but I do think he would have a positive impact where he goes. So it is interesting to see, but it's a being a little bit overplayed. It's a little ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been a little overplayed. I think that to me, it's like what I've always told on the fan said on the fan was I felt like it it should mean more to certain squads in the sweepstakes. Like for me, like. It should mean a lot more for the Giants than it should be for, for the Cowboys. Right. Like for the Cowboys, he's just another you know toy. Another disposal. piece. They, like, they have a, a, a bunch of guys. Now the Giants have nobody wide <laughs> receiver. Literally nobody. Right, so exactly. it's like I don't know how good he is, but like even the threat of what he once was would do a lot to open up their running game and open up their offense. So. Mm-hmm. I feel like they have to get him. They want any chance to like make this season worthwhile in terms of making the playoffs or making a playoff run. That's of course assuming he can actually play, which is an assumption I probably should stop having at this point. But assuming that, I feel like they should just sign him. Like like they need anybody who can be a threat of wide receiver at this point. You know, I, and the Bills, I don't really know what he does for them. But the, the thing with the Cowboys though, and why I think there's been so much excitement is essentially. If he goes to the Cowboys, it's, 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 it's essentially kind of what happened with the Rams last year. Now, a little less because the Rams had injuries at the wide receiver position, which is why they, they needed Odell. But I think it, it's an idea that, oh, like they got a guy who helped the team that couldn't get over the hump finally get over the hump. And with the Cowboys, you have a team of guys who are all, I say this respectfully, losers when it comes to the playoffs. Like guys who have choked, guys who haven't gotten the job done. Like, they're a team that we all keep thinking, well, they're never going to get it done when it matters most. And here, I think the excitement for Odell Beckham is, well, there's a guy who actually knows what it takes to get to the promise line. He showed up late in the season for another team that couldn't get over the hump and helped lead the way. And then he could show us the way of how to get it done. Or even if he doesn't show us the way, because I'm not sure what kind of leader Odell is in that regard, he's a big-time kind of player. He'll make the plays that we need to lead the way to get to the promised land. I think that that's some of the excitement we're seeing from Odell. I don't think it's necessarily this idea that, oh, he's going to be the guy he was when he first was with the Giants. But I think it's the idea that, oh, maybe in a couple big playoff games, like he makes catches that like other guys were dropping or <laughs> he, he runs the right route when other guys run the wrong route and Dak was throwing picks. Like he's just a professional. He knows what time it is. He's a big time player. He'll show up in those moments when other guys in the past didn't. That's what I think the excitement is. And mm-hmm. but because I'm not a Dallas Cowboy fan, but knowing knowing that pain that they've been through, I could understand that. Is it placed correctly? I mean, not if the guy can't run. Like that that like that is really scary to me. That like they're saying this guy's a month away from being able to play possibly. It's like, well, what what are you getting from a guy who's coming off an ACL who can't run right now? Like even yep. in a month, what are you getting? Like you know, are you or or at this point, like, are you just blocking him for the Giants? Do you even care? Like, why would you care if the Giants get him? Like, you're so much better than the Giants. I don't think that, I don't, you shouldn't care about that. I think. Yeah, yeah, it's a little, it's a lot. You know, it's a lot of attention. 
Um, I think it's just I think it's just a little too much. That's just me. I think it's just just a little too much. I think he will have positive impact. I agree. It should be. I think different teams. It should be kind of a varied interest, um, as opposed to just being some kind of lottery. Um, yeah, which like, is, like to me, like Tennessee is the know. kind of team like that you want Odell. Like again, a team that like right. has a terrible offense that needs like any kind of spark. Like I don't really understand the Bills and Cowboys as much, but again, the, the Cowboys maybe it's the he can get us over the hump thing. I guess the Bills have that too, but the the Bills are so loaded where it's just like I, I just don't know why you think that taking a risk on a guy who has an ACL injury is worth it. The Cowboys aren't as talented as the Bills, though they're a very talented team. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I, I, I think the, I mean, I understand the, I don't know. I feel like OBJ would, I think he brings value to any team he goes to, including the Cowboys and the Bills. I just, I just don't think, I just don't think the, the kind of, and like you said, especially with him having like injury, them saying, oh, we can't run and stuff like that. It's like, it's just a lot of attention on, on someone that isn't going to bring like that much value. He's going to bring value, but like not to the point where it's like all this attention. I, it's almost like there's nothing else to talk about or something. It's like, is there, is there nothing else? It's like, there's other things we can talk about, but for some reason there's all this attention on where OBJ is going to go. So I don't know. It's a little, well, strange. He's, I mean, he's made, he's made it a, I mean, I guess I can say it. he's made it a circus. Like he, like it's his own doing. I, I can't, and I don't, I don't, right. you know, I like Odell Beckham. I'm not here to, to bang on his character or anything, but I mean, he has made this a circus. He has decided I'm going to show up at all these games and sit, you know, courtside and sit, you know, you know, stand on the sidelines. And like he, he's look, tried, he's, I'm not going to say he's tried to find the camera, but he's always made sure he's been in a position where the cameras could easily find him. And he kind of just kept his face and his name in the press for this season. So it's it's his doing. Now, I think the Cowboys helped a ton. Like, to the Giants' credit, like, I feel like whenever they ask Dave Wall and those guys about it, like, they're very much like, yeah, we talked to him, and that's, not, that's all we're going to say. They don't, you know, Sterling Shepard has talked a lot about it because they're really close friends. But besides him, like, I think everyone's kind of been very chill about it. Like the like the Cowboys, Dak Prescott's like, yeah, man, I was on the phone with him, like, yo, I'm telling him, yo, you got to get here. He's like, yo, he said, I'm I'm mutually interested. And again, Jerry Jones is going on the radio every week talking about a guy who's not on his team. Like, like that's why it would be hilarious if he just didn't go. Like, if he ends up signing with the Giants or someone else, it's just like Jerry Jones wasted all that radio time to not sign this guy. That Prescott did all those press conferences to not eventually throw him one ball. Like, it'd be something else. That's going to do it for this edition of New Generation Sports Talk. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I enjoyed having you guys listen. Of course, thanks to my guy, Sham. Of course, if you enjoyed the show, make sure you check out all of our shows on New Generation Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. Also, check us out on YouTube, New Generation Media. Follow us on social media, New Generation Media, New Generation Pod on Twitter, New Generation Podcast on Instagram. I'm EJ Underscore on Twitter. Actually, EJ on Instagram. Shamari's uh, MC Shan 22 on Instagram and Snapchat. We'll see you guys later. Peace. <laughs>